Hey guys, this is Ben with DCMB. Don't call me Bud. Um, we have been diving into some true crime stuff. We have been asked to do that. Um, and our viewers, we're going to do whatever our viewers want. Unfortunately, with that true crime comes some graphic natured content. And this is going to be one of them. So if you're not that 16 to 18, um, please just go ahead and turn it off. We do appreciate your younger viewers. They're awesome. But this kind of stuff is not for them. And just a heads up, parents, if you're listening to this in a car or something with the younger with the younger viewers, please turn it off. I have two kids of my own, and I would not want them listening to this stuff. It does get pretty graphic. But if you if you are a true crime lover like we are, then hopefully you enjoy the show. So guys, welcome back to Don't Call Me Bud, True Crime Edition. We're gonna bring you, we broke it up. We're gonna bring you true crimes, some mysteries, and some just crazy news that the little guys probably don't need to hear. So we split it up. Um, the, the Don't Call Me Bud is going to be more fun. The true crime mystery stuff will obviously be true crime and mystery. Um, and cover topics that, you know, if you're 16 and under, 18 and under, whatever, you should probably not be listening to. So today we are going to cover the serial killer named BTK. And this is, oh yeah, this is my lovely wife, Molly. Please don't say my name like that. Molly. Um, we're going to cover BTK. Uh, serial killer out of Wichita, Kansas. Um, currently is serving 10 consecutive life sentences in the Wichita and the Kansas State Penn facility. We're going to tell you a little bit about him. Serial killer in the 70s, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he kind of started with, uh, there was... Uh, he ended up killing four people in his first killing was a four people in the Otero household, correct? He killed four. Yes. He killed four. There's total seven, total was seven, 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 seven people, people in the in house. Fam family. Yes. So what happened was, is the kids went out to school first. The older kids went to school. The younger kids were still getting ready for school. The parents were still there and uh, BTK walked in, uh, also known Dennis Raiders, his real name walks in the house ends up saying, hey, I, I'm escaped from prison. I need a car. I need your money. Tie your guys' self up, and we will, everything will be good. So the husband ties up the wife, then he ties up himself, and then he ends up tying up the little girl, takes her down to the basement, and the little boy, and ends up killing all of them. And unfortunately, after the kids got done with school, they came home and found their parents. Uh, one of them thought that their parents were playing a, a bad joke. And because the kids were downstairs, they didn't realize that the little kids were gone Still as home. well. Yeah, they didn't realize that they were gone as well until later that night, about 10, 10 well, p.m. Yeah, they called the police and the police came yep. and finally found them. Found them. Yep. And yeah. It's horrible, it's horrible thing. So. He is, he is known for saying, um, when they did ask him about Otero, um, the Otero murders, he did say, I saw her and I had to have her. Talking about the little girl and in the Otero family. I think she was six at the time. She was 11. She was 11? Wow. Yeah. Okay. She was 11. She was 11. So, yeah, which, which makes things weird, which gives you an idea like this, he could possibly be a pedophile, um, something like that. But this is why he got away with it for so long is he's very random. He didn't have a type. His thing was 
fine torture kill btk so he didn't really care what his victim was looked like where you had a lot of serial killers you know blondes you know um brunettes certain age groups but he didn't care as long as he got to bind torture and kill so yeah he was about 40 when this kill when he killed josephine and her family the um, first yeah the yeah. first killing um it was january 15th 1974 and he worked for adt right um at this point he was working for um the city i believe no i think he was working for adt No, he was working for ADT on this one. He does he does transfer over to the city as a fines officer. So he's that guy that um, will go to your house and say, hey, you need to cut your grass, and if you don't, I'm going to give you a $30 fine. That's that guy. And a perfect role for him because he loved to assume that power, that power position. So I'm sure that little bit of power went to his head, and he ended up um, with that job. But... That's later on. So the second murder, after the Oteros. Miss Catherine, Cla Catherine, Catherine Bright. Um, she is 21, she was 21 years old, um, killed on April 4th, 1974. This was about three months after the first killing. Um, so yeah, they didn't, and after this one, then they didn't tie them together, did they? No. Like after they this one, they well, weren't? No. Because this one was not the same. It, I've they kind of made they they thought the Oteros was more of a home invasion. Yeah, no, they thought it was the husband. Oh Remember? yeah, initially they did. They yep. they thought it was the husband because he looked at the he looked at the oldest son and said, "Could your dad have done this?" Yeah, and that I couldn't even imagine getting asked that question as as a son as a kid to even try to comprehend that that would be horrible, but. Um, so Kathleen, Catherine Bright was, at, he didn't get to perform his actual ritual with her. Um, this one was, um, he did stalk her and found out, found her and would, was waiting for her at her house. Well, when she came back, um, her brother was with her and, um, that was not part of his plan, but... Um, he again told them that he was running from the cops and um, that n nobody was going to hurt them, just give them his or their all their money and or whatever. And their car keys. And their car keys yep. and everything would be fine. Well, then he talks the brother into tying up his sister and so he does to comply and all that stuff. So he takes the brother into the back bedroom and... Um, they start fighting. They don't start they? fighting. Yeah. yeah. Well, then he pulls the gun. Well, actually, he gets a hold of the gun, and the gun wasn't loaded. And then he actually had another gun behind with him and um, fired one shot. Well, um, he actually fought back. The brother's a badass. Yeah. And he actually got shot twice. So then at that point, Dennis thought that he was gone. So Dennis, BTK, went back to the sister and Kath Catherine, and um, she was fighting back as well. Well, during this, the brother actually got out of the house to go find help, and um, 
he had a knife, or Dennis had a knife and um, stabbed her seven times. And then Dennis, the TK, um, realized that it wasn't going toward to plan, so he fled the scene and just walked out. He walked out like nothing happened. Yeah, just walked out like a normal day. He was walking down the street. Yeah. And, and then she's, she survived to the hospital. Yeah. Yep, she died in the hospital. And um, the brother actually died as well. But I'm not sure what the cause of death was for him. I'm not sure. Well, he did get shot twice, you know. Yeah, but he did get to go find help. and. Yeah, he, he basically, he didn't, it sucks because he, he could have, like, and that's, I... I don't know. I mean, I feel like that might be why he did end up passing away because you know you get to that point where you think you like you just you beat yourself up, you know, two seconds, whatever. Yeah. But no, um, yeah. I mean, the brother, both of them, badasses. They fought back, and that's that wasn't what people are taught to do during that time. They were taught to be submissive, but they, I mean, they fought, and mm-hmm. it, it it ruined his plan, and he didn't get he didn't get off on on that, and I think that's. That's the good thing, you know. Yeah. Like he didn't get to enjoy it. Yeah, it was horrible, horrible acts, and you shouldn't. No one should get to enjoy them. No. But so, um, so what happens after that is two people take credit for the Otero murders, and he loses his shit because he's like, no, they they are not. They, I did that. Mm-hmm. So he writes a letter to the police, and he then gives his name BTK. That's when, and he comes up with some weird names, and they end up sticking with BTK, Fine Torture Kill, but um, like the Torture Killer and like some random, it just yeah, but they were bad. They were bad, and like to give yourself your own nickname, he even gave himself his own logo, Mm -hmm. which is disgusting. It is. Like he, this was a this was a hundred percent a game to him. Like, and he he just thought he was. He had that personality where he never thought he was going to get caught. And once he, once they were able to do that, um, once he wrote the letter and everything, that's kind of when it got really kind of weird. Right? It was always weird. It was, yeah, well, yeah it was always weird. He but that's, more that's when he got braver. Yeah, way braver. So, um, so he wanted to, uh, so basically, he didn't he didn't really have anything going on. Um, so he went to the house of two females. They weren't home. He had he had scouted these two females. They weren't home, and he ended up kind of striking out. And once he strikes out with these, he's got the so the urge is way up here, and he thinks that the urge is going to be fulfilled. And he goes to the one house. They don't come home. Nothing fulfilled. So then it gets even higher. And he goes to her the another one's house. They don't come home. So then it's like at its max. And this is three year span. Yes. This is a three year span. Yeah. And he has not killed anyone that we know of. Yes. And you'll get into that later yes. on. I'll, I'll, yeah, we'll get into that later. But, but so like he, he's at the absolute max and no one's home. He's put all this work in and he calls them projects. We'll kind of get into that. But um, so he's put all this work in, and no, neither one of them are home. So what he does is he's walking. He's just going to walk the neighborhood. So he starts walking the neighborhood, and he sees a five-year-old kid carrying a grocery bag, and it just happened to five be... Five years old. 
Yeah, he sent him <laughs> to the grocery store by himself. But this is 1977. Yes. So in Wichita, Kansas. So he ends up, the, the kid, if I remember right, the kid gets sent to the grocery store because the mom's sick. Mom and the kids are sick at home, yep. yes. So they send the healthy five-year-old kid down the street. He sees the five-year-old kid and start, and talks to him. So he acts like a police officer looking yep. for people. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that comes in handy because then what happens is, is in his brain, he's like, this is the next one. Like urge, his urge, he's able to keep control of his urges really well, but this one, I don't think he could. And he had to do something and all of a sudden it clicked in his brain. We have, this is my next one. Spur of the moment, not planned out. No stock, like he didn't stalk anybody. And he gets into really like down the line, he gets into some really big details. Like he ends up people's work and crap. Yeah. Like it's nuts. This one so like, so nothing this, about the family, nothing. Yeah, so like this is very, like I said, it's very random. Like, and that's why Wichita police had such a hard time putting all this together. So basically what happens is he goes and knocks on the door. The same kid answers. The kid thinks he's a police officer. Mm -hmm. And by the time everything's said and done, there's some commotion. The mom gets up out of bed. She's sick. And he's standing by the door with a gun, basically saying, all right, here's the deal. This is what's going to go down. Yep. And he said, we, I'm not going to hurt the kids. Put the kids in the bathroom you need, we're going into the bedroom. And as a mother, absolutely. Yeah. Horrible. So I would do the exact same thing she did. A hundred percent. So she put the kids in the bathroom, went into the, went into the bedroom and he ended up being able to tie her up and uh, place a plastic bag over her head. And at this time, the kids break the window yeah, the kids and are making so much noise that it's frustrating him. And he can't enjoy it. Yeah. So the kids break the window, they get out, and he freaks out. She unfortunately doesn't make it. Her name is Shirley Vane. Vine. I, mean, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and so the kids get out, they're safe. He, get, he leaves again. He just walks out like nothing happened. And the kids get to the neighbors, they call the police. The police come over, see the mom has passed, and... Try to try to get talk to the kids and stuff, but he is. And then they talk to him later. And when he's when he gets arrested, they're talking to him about this murder. And he goes, "The kids are so lucky they got out of that window." So, unfortunately, the mom didn't make it, but the kids did. Yeah. And I think that's one thing. That's one thing that he never really put into his pers like in his brain. People were gonna fight. Like, and he he did. He ran into some some fighters and people that were going to protect their loved ones. And I don't think in his brain that that's how everything worked. I think he was very narcissistic and it was all about him. And so for him to not understand that, I think actually saved, saved the kids, you know, you know, it could have, I mean, moments away from saving, saving, um, bright, yep. you know, they fought, they won, you know, he didn't get to enjoy it. Unfortunately, they lost their lives, but he didn't get any joy out of anything, which, you know, you got to count that as a win. So he would call these guys. Um, and that's another thing, too, is it's all random and there was no clues. So the only Except thing that really, the, the rope. rope. Yeah, that was the only thing that they could even think about tying all this stuff together. Yeah, is, but they, at the time they did. Yeah, they were like, oh, there's rope. Yeah. Okay. They just they, went in a box and kind of. Yeah, they didn't tie them up. Okay. Yeah. But he called them projects, and he'd drive around for hours and days and days and days. And then when he picked one out, he would stalk them for weeks. And then he would name the project. 
And this, this comes, this, I'm telling you this now because the next one really creeped me out. Her name was Nancy Fox, and she called it Project Fox Hunt. That's what he called it. Yes. And what year was that? That oh, was 1977. Yeah, so this was three. It, this was December 8th, 1977. So same year, nine months later, um, Nancy Fox, 25 years old. Um, he single. Single. Yep. Um, he goes into her house while she's not there and just she, he gets her routine gets at where she worked shows up at her work um and just knows everything about her and i think that's really was his urge that yeah because now he's now he's set up yeah. now he 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 was very sporadic with the first couple and now he's set up he has a routine he knows she's going to walk in and he's hiding in a closet. She walks in, and basically, he he hides in the closet. He 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 comes out of the closet and says, "Hey, it, he he's got a gun. He's like, hey, we're we're gonna do this, you know." And she's submissive, and um, he knew he knew he could, at this point he, he knew he could to act out his fantasy. He told her that, that nothing was going to happen to her and she would be fine. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she complies and yep. goes with him and ties her up. And then when right when he's about to strangle her, he tells her, I'm BTK. I'm BTK. And this is going to be it mm-hmm. pretty much. And that was his fantasy. And, yep. that's, and then that's what it. really bothered him is no one found the body. So no one finds the body. He's he's waiting on the news. Like he's sitting there watching TV, looking at. This it. was a day later. Yeah. And he still thinks like. They should know. Yeah. Nobody's finding out. Nobody's finding the single woman that. Yeah. Didn't go into work today. Yeah. You know, so he ends up calling the police from a payphone. Um, he says, "Hey, there's a there's been a homicide at this address. Leaves the payphone on undone." But there was a firefighter that was behind him waiting for the payphone, realized what everything was, kind of put two in together and was kind of, it was a little, not really able to identify him. And see, that's, that's the frustrating part is nothing really breaks in this until the, ni- until the 2000s. And that's when, I mean, I think he just, he wants to be BTK. This is what he wants to be. This is who he wants to be. And it's, it's sick and disgusting. But... Um, when he says the bind, torture, kill, he binds them. Obviously, he ties them up and stuff. But he he made he made a point. The torture part is when he whispers. He whispered in her ear and said, "I am BTK," just to see that look on her face. Because when he was younger, that was the one thing. It was magazines that had the girls tied up, and they would have these panic looks on their face. That was what really got him going, and that that gave them that look, that instant fear. Because it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of a big deal. So Nancy Fox was in 1977. Um, this was the last one for eight years that we know of. Which is crazy for serial killers because how a serial killer is set up is once you do it, the urge comes faster and faster and faster. That's how. That's what you learn. Right? At least like FBI, that's how they teach it. Is the urge you have to control the urge faster and faster and faster. He is one of the only ones that can control it as long as he does and just basically put it off. 
That's why I think what you brought up to me today is really interesting because I, I don't think he's able to do that. I, I really don't. So no. what we're going to talk about at the end is very, very interesting, at least to me anyway. Yeah. So, so uh, another letter from, uh, from the killer, some, from BTK on January 31st, um, and he creates a poem called Shirley Locks, and he sends it to the newspaper. And it's, he doesn't get a story. The, the paper's like, I'm not going to run it. You're, you're not worth running, you know, basically. And doesn't feed into the ego. Well, that pisses him off. He goes, well, if you're not going to run it, I'm going to send a letter to the TV station. And it is labeled, Oh, Death to Nancy. Um, it says, and in the poem, it says, there's already seven in the ground. And that's when the police were like, shit. They released the letter and then announced that Wichita, Kansas, had a serial killer in 1978 because they were able to put the Oteros and everybody else together, and they said, okay, we have to let everybody know. So. Yeah. But nothing really happened. And then, so it was, I mean, like, they didn't know if he had left or whatever. So 1984, um, is getting a little bit better. Uh, fresh eyes on the project. Uh, so on the cases, and they called it the Ghostbusters. So the Ghostbusters, it was basically a brand new task force. They brought people in from the FBI. And so what was going on behind the scenes of the FBI is profiling. No one's ever really profiled a serial killer before. They actually worked with other serial killers that were able to work with them and create a profile for serial killers. That's why this 1984 date is really kind of interesting because if you look at the FBI, that's really when they started to get the profiling down. So not only do you see the lead uh, investigator on this start using that profiling to their advantage, but you're also kind of, you can whittle down what you're looking for in cases like this. So 1984 becomes a really important date for the FBI because profiling got so, so big and so rampant. Do you want to talk about Maureen Hedges? Um, well, she was eight years later. Yep. Um, after Nancy Fox. So the police are saying he's gone. He's yeah. either dead or he left or we have no idea. And so Marnie yep. Hedge, 53 years old, um, found dead May 5th of 1985. She lived on the street. Lived on the street. So he could watch her. He watched her for years. That is extremely creepy. Yes, it is. But he, he did the same thing. Like so it worked with it worked with the last one. So his plan was I'm gonna sit in the closet and this is what I'm gonna do. This is my new thing. It worked. I got off. This is what he and he sat in the closet, but something happened. She came home with a guy and he wasn't actually able to come out when he wanted to. So he had to sit and wait for the guy to actually leave before she came out or before he came out and attacked her um so what happens is, is the guy ends up leaving he comes out um and he actually after all the after everything this is this is where it gets weird again he's very random he he ends up taking the body to the lutheran church and taking pictures of the body in the lutheran church um then just basically throws the body in a ditch and that's new. Yep. 
So with that's masks. hard. Yeah, with a mask yep. covering the mask. Yep. And then a boy walking his dog found her. Mm-hmm. Which was definitely not, did not look like BTA. No, not at all. But he was getting more show. He wanted more of a show. Yeah, and he's getting older. He's getting, he, he honestly, he's getting, he's getting reckless. And it's like, I've gone on this long. You're not going to catch me. You can't catch me, you know, but in, I mean, at, at, in 1991, he ended up at Dolores Davis house. She's 62, older lady. And he just, he's so like, he just throws a cinder block through her, through her front door, throws a cinder block through her front door, walks in and kills her, put a mask, puts one of those weird masks on her and takes pictures, takes her down, takes her down and starts taking pictures of her. And just leaves her. Like, it's not even sneaky anymore. He's not hiding in closets. He's not ju- he's just walking up, throws a cinder block through the door, walks in. So it's like he does, doesn't give a shit. Like, he doesn't care if he gets caught. And he doesn't care about anything else. He just, this is what it is, and this is how it is. And no one's going to catch me. Uh, so a guy comes out uh, in the 2000s. He says, hey, I'm going to write a book about BTK. And really pisses him off and he basically says hey you're not going to write a book about me i'm going to write a book about me i'm the only one that can tell my story and he ends up sending a letter in for this this murder that they didn't even contribute to btk proving that it was you know just basically like hey i wasn't done you guys missed this one this was me and in 2004, they were finally able to put it together through this letter because it's it's like a photocopy of some of her items and then her driver's license. And he goes, we never said that we, we never released that the driver's license was gone. He has a driver's license. And that's when they come out, the police come out and say, hey, just so you guys know, in 1986, um, Vic War- Wargley, was was murdered and BTK was ultimately the person that did it, and it set up. Uh, so what what they did by doing that is basically go back to the profiling. What they were trying to do is set up a connection with BTK, basically like giving him credit for that and going, you know, you got us again. You're smarter than us. Really feeding into that ego. Because what happens now is any conversation, now that there's a conversation between the two, any conversation has to feed that ego because if the ego's not fed, the conversation will end. And they can't have the conversation will end because they know they're not dealing with a rocket, science, rocket scientist. They're, they're dealing with somebody that's very sloppy and will eventually slip up and will eventually just be dumb enough to just get caught. So you really have to keep the conversation going. And unfortunately, the conversation wasn't a phone conversation. It was, these, it was these weird letters and weird poems and stuff like that, but they had to be able to feed that ego so he would continue to keep, the, keep conversing with the police. So this goes on until January 8th, um, 2005. They get a letter that says, go to this stop sign, mm-hmm. and you will find a serial box, serial killer, Toastios. Mm-hmm. 
And so they send a police officer there. Well, this box. This uh, is how it originally is. Serial well, box, serial killer. I hate him. Yes. Like, I. Well, he had the criminal justice degree or whatever. I'm He's like, a fucking idiot. He is crazy. I don't use that word very often, but he is a fucking idiot. Punch him in the face. Well, anyway, cereal box by a stop sign. What's in the cereal box? The cereal box had a Barbie in it. Yes, the cereal box had a Barbie in it. That was tied up and mouth was taped up and all that stuff. And um, I can't remember what else. Well, the, the significance of the Barbie was it was tied up and taped up just like the Otero girl. Like, like identical. So they, they knew that he he was remembering this stuff. He knew, like, what... Well, I he was targeting a, a child. Yeah. Because he, in when he was, send a letter to this new, the news reporters saying he wants to write his own book. And he, the chapters in all of the books, mm-hmm. or in all of the, in the book, the chapters, the last one, the last one was, will there be more? Yep. And that's what freaked everybody out. And then he sends this letter for the cereal box. Yep. Well, it was the Ontario, it was the Ontario girl. Like. Otero. Otero girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they automatically, well, it's a child. Like his yeah. next victim is going to be a child. Yeah, instantly. instantly. Well, worst possible scenario, yeah. Yeah. So the cereal box had the doll in there. And then the, a note to where the other one was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> and where was the other one? At Home Depot in an employee's back of his car. Yes, and they didn't find it. So what did he do? He called and said, hey, you didn't. He, he basically called and said, hey, you didn't find the other box. Yeah. You guys didn't get the other box. Yes. So basically what happens is, is they, the cereal box is put in the back of a, of a car at Home Depot. The issue with that is it's nineteen. It's not nineteen seventy seven anymore. Home Depot has cameras, so what they do right away is they go into the Home Depot um, security system. They get the footage, and what they're seeing is a black um, Jeep Cherokee, and um, and this guy walking out, putting the putting the box in. So now they know it's a male. Now they know what kind of car he drives, and they put the box in. Um, when they go through the box, I don't remember if they go through the box and they say, if he basically says, if I send you a floppy disk, can you guys trace it? Let me know in the in the newspaper. So basically what they do is they let and him be know. be honest. Yeah, be honest. He's asking the police officers to be honest. He says, be, be honest. honest. If I've, I send I've you killed, a floppy, floppy disk, yeah. can you trace it? Be honest. I've killed nine be people, honest. but please be honest. You know, well, the cops agreed. Yep, they the cops were, were like, "Oh yeah, we're honest. not. Yeah, we're we're we definitely can't trace that. Definitely can't." So what happens is, is the genius sends a floppy disk. Uh, the floppy disk can be traced, and it's traced back to all they got off the floppy disk was the word doc. It was a word document yep. that said "test." Yep. And this, they Ding. could trace it back to whose Excel or. Um, whose word it was, yeah. Outlook account it was. Well, it was a Lutheran church. And it said Dennis. So then they Googled the church, they Googled Dennis, and they found out he is the president of the congregation. And they go to the house, 
And what do they find in the driveway? A black Jeep Cherokee. So they're like, oh, yeah, we got them. So these guys, some of these guys are like, we're ready. Let's go. And they, every, the smart one, the, the, the leader of this that kind of put this all together, knew he had to feed the ego, knew that this guy would keep writing to him if he fed the ego, said, no, we'll hold up. We're giving it a week. Give me a week. We're going to surveil. Obviously, we're going to put surveillance on him. We're going to know wherever he is all the time. Nothing's going to happen, but we need a week. We have to make sure we can't go in there guns a-blazing and have this whole thing fall apart. So give us a week. So what they need is DNA because this guy, after every murder that we didn't go into, would pleasure himself and leave it on the floor. But back in 1974, we they didn't. did not have that kind of technology. But the police officers and law enforcement were, yeah. they were smart and, and took samples kept of it. these. They kept the semen. So now they know his family. They know his they've daughter, been tracing his him for son, a week. his wife. So what do they do? They Google his daughter, and his daughter went to Kansas State. Mm-hmm. There, they have annual uh, Pap smears. They have a health. They have a health. They have a student health section there. It's just not. It's not like an. I just annual Pap smear sounds like a party. Then come to that the is annual. not a party. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like you made it like, hey, come to the annual Pap People. smear. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They have a women's clinic, yep. and they have to get annual pap smears. So yep. they have her DNA. Well, lead detective, sorry, um, says, well, we have his semen. Let's try to match it with his potential daughter. Well, it's a match. Yeah, basically they come back and say, I can't tell you that Dennis Rader is BTK, but what I can tell you is the father of this child is BTK. So a lot of that went into it and people are, you know, privacy, but let's be honest, they, with so many people already being killed, gone, the, it, it outweighed it. And that, and that was one of the things you could actually, when you watch documentary or read anything, that was one of the things that the police officers really kind of, some of them kind of struggled with is like, but they knew like we had to do this. This is something we had to do. We're, we're invading her privacy. We understand that, but we had to do it. And I think People once, getting murdered. yeah, once we get into the daughter, I think the daughter would have been all about it too. If they would have just knocked on our door and said, Hey, we think we have this. She would have been like, absolutely. Cause I think that's where she's at. And they do go ask a, or a, um, the state's attorney. The state's yeah. attorney and ask them, hey, this is what we're trying to do. And they approved it. So yep. they did get approved yeah. for doing it. They got a warrant, yeah. So then they get to go in guns a blazing. On February 25th, 2005. This is a m- not even well, about a month after he started sending the letters. Mm-hmm. And the floppiness and the clues. Like an idiot. Like an idiot. But he likes that attention. Yep. And that's what they knew. They 100%. knew that if they could get that, they could get him conversing, it was good. Yeah. So, so they they get him all cuffed up. And you know what he tells them? You better go home and tell my wife that I won't be home for lunch. Yeah. And... He's like, I'm assuming you know where I live. And he was just calm. 
Yeah, because he actually, because he sits in the back and they go, he and he goes, hello, detective. And detective goes, hello, Dennis. He goes, you know what this is about? He goes, I have a general idea. Like, he's not freaking out. He knows. And that's what makes, and that's what makes you really think. I think he almost wanted to get caught at a point because the life he was living was not the life he wanted. He wanted to be BTK all the time, 100% of the time. And he couldn't do it. He had a family. He had wife. He had kids. And he had to have that persona. He was a scoutmaster, for Christ's sake. You know, like, people, he took people on camping trips. Like, he was a, and he was the president of the congregation. Like, he, he was a church person, you know. Like, you just don't expect this kind of stuff out of someone like that. And, like, I think it was so deep in him that he just had to, like, he either had to get caught or something had to give, and that's, and that's what it was. Because, I mean, they said they integrity, interrogated him for, like, 30 minutes, and they finally just go, Dennis, who are you? Just tell us who you are. You're hinting at it. Just say it. And he goes, I'm BTK. Like, not like he just says it. He and goes, then he I'm was BTK. happy. Yep. And then you can see in his interview, he is just like, he is relaxed. He's drinking coffee. He's telling these cops for what, 20 hours about all of his things that he did. And he's excited. And he's he gets excited. to relive he gets, it. Yeah. He gets to tell somebody. He has bundled this up for years. And now he's finally just pouring out of him. And, and he's he, just loving the ugh. fact that... And the part that makes... And they have to listen mm. to him. Yeah. They have to listen to him intently. They have to write it down. They have to keep notes. And he knows it. And he just... He just... Oh, my God. I hate him. And this SOB didn't get... Li- or the death penalty. Death penalty. Because yeah, Kansas did not have it at the time. Mm-hmm. And so he is, is still alive. Ten se- consecutive... Life sentences. Yes. The worst so. The worst I think a judge could ever do is what this judge did, and he got to stand up and tell his story. He, they, The judge should have just kept him quiet and not mm-hmm. let him tell anything. But the judge said, I want you to talk about every murder. And he got to stand up for a day and tell everybody about it. And he would you know, smile and be happy and relive all that. They should take that all away from him. No one, no one wants to hear about it. It's pretty, I mean... What a piece of shit. For sure. But. So he is in prison. Yep. Locked His up. daughter is now helping um, the police on unsolved cases around Wichita, Kansas, around the dates of 1974 to 2005. Because, like I said, it doesn't make any sense that he can take these long, long off things. Like, it doesn't make sense. If you look at any serial killer, it goes here. They fir- they start with the petty crimes, usually, and then all of a sudden it builds up and builds up, and then it just overruns. Because once you get that initial, like, shot, you just have to have it. It's just like, an alcohol, you know, like if you're addicted to anything, it just progressively gets worse. At no point, can, if you're addicted to something, you can be like, Okay, I'm done for eight years. Oh, I'm going to pick it back up. Oh, I'm done for eight years. I'm going to pick it back up. That's not how it works. And that's not how our brains work. So there has to be something. And it's awesome that she's like, hey, I get it too. Let's solve this stuff. Let's put families at ease and let's try to figure it out. Because he's not going to give anything up. He has no reason to. No. The only thing he would give up if he, I think he would give it up if you put him on a national stage and say, all right, you get to explain what you did to all these people. And then maybe you might get a couple more. 
I forgot her name, but I was just looking into this and it actually like when I was sitting down, I was looking at the dates and it now kind of makes doesn't make sense, but it's it's adding up. Well, his daughter found out that there was a killing in Oklahoma. Um, uh, hold on. So while she's looking up that, um, just to kind of go into his background, because you're thinking, oh, this guy must have had a horrible childhood to be this messed up. He didn't. There's no sexual abuse in his childhood. He was an older brother um, to two other two other brothers. Um, he just the only thing that they the only thing he says that ever happened to him that was weird is he got to see a magazine with a girl tied up and it it made him feel good. At one point, uh, they had to cut the head off a chicken. They had to tie up the chicken and it made him feel good. Like that's and that's what he. That, I mean, that's the initial thing. Is that he was just, but. He never told anybody, so he had to live out these fantasies. And he would actually go around, tie himself up, wear masks, and take pictures. Like, there's some crude ass shit. Like, it's bad. Like, it's it's disgusting. Um, but he had good parents. The True Detective magazines are pretty much the only thing they can link to that gave him the idea of it because he saw the True Detective magazines, the covers, and he was like, "Oh, this this makes me feel weird inside," you know. Um, he married. Two kids and he was a devoted father. Like I said, he he, you, there's pictures of him lifting his daughter up to put the star on the Christmas tree. He was a scoutmaster. He was a member of the church. Like he played the part very very well. I think he hated playing the part, but he played the very. I mean, and he was a security compliance officer. He was in people's houses. He was looking at people's lawns. It wasn't weird for him to be just driving around the neighborhood. He's driving around the neighborhood, literally just stalking people, and like before that, he was ADT. So he was installing security systems. He knew what he was installing in people's houses. Like, it's it it's just crazy to me that someone like that can be so such a monster. And everybody has those slip ups. Like you read about Ten Bundy, you read about these guys, and like Richard Ramirez was just always just hundred percent go. Like he was that guy. He was the night stalker. You know, Ted Bundy got to a point where he was just Ted Bundy and he was just reacting. You know, supposedly this guy, Dennis Rader, never got to that point, which is crazy to me. And it doesn't make any sense. He is he's the anomaly of all serial killers. Okay, so I found one of them. Um, So Cindy. Sorry if I mispronounce it. Kinley was working at a laundromat. 1976, June 23rd, 1976. So this would have been. Between this would have been the three-year gap between April fourth, seven of nineteen seventy-four and March seventeenth of nineteen seventy-seven. So this was between that, and um, so she was working at um, Osage Laundromat um, in Oklahoma, and she was she got she went missing, and they never found her. Well, the daughter put kind of two and two together and just kind of went deeper into it and found out, well, his dad was supposed to be there for an ADT um, thing there. So, and in his book that he writes about himself, he talks about his fantasy of a laundromat killing. Yep. So... They haven't pinned it on him. 
but they are actively trying to get him to talk and get these families some clarity. Some closure, yeah. Closure. And, um, but he has not yet confessed. Um, but she linked him to that one. Um, and then there was one more. I mean, she's just been recently, this, she's been recently getting into it deeper and deeper too. Cause I did, she came out with her own show basically saying, Hey, what's it like to be a daughter of a serial killer? She wants to make it right. Like you're never going to make it right, obviously, but she wants people to understand that she's not him. And she will do anything to, I think she's putting a lot of effort and a lot of time into giving these families closure and basically saying, I'm not my, you know, obviously I'm not my dad, but you know, I want, I want to try to help wherever I can help because these events were horrible and I don't, I don't condone it. I'm not, I'm not writing my dad. I'm not doing anything. She has written her dad and basically asked why, like, why are you the way you are? And I don't think she's ever really gotten anything back. So actually that Cynthia, um, the 16-year-old, was actually the cheerleader that worked at the, the laundromat. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the one. So basically... That she's trying to link him to. Yeah. And, um, but... She's very smart. I mean, she's, she she's very, you know, like, she... She's college edu- educated, obviously, but she she's very smart. She understands, and like I said, she's just trying to link these things together to give these families closure, and that's all she really wants to do. She doesn't want anything out of it. She just wants to be able to help the families that her dad basically Destroyed. tore apart. Yeah, like absolutely tore apart. Well, what's horrible is that if they do link him to this case and he doesn't confront, he will get a trial. That's probably why, That's because what he wants. He doesn't want a trial. Absolutely. No, he isn't going to want a trial in Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a death penalty. He wants the attention. Yeah, the, the, yeah, but you have to outweigh the attention. See, now he's old. Once you start to get old, you don't want to die. Oklahoma has a death penalty. So if they link him to this case, he gets a new trial. He can be sentenced to death. Yeah, but he's seventy-six years old. Yeah. I'm surprised someone hasn't got him in prison. Honestly, he must be on like, like the safeguard or whatever. Whatever I forgot what they call Which it. Which is stupid. Oh yeah, I wish they just let it free. Let him go. Just let him go. Yeah. I, I yeah. Somebody will take care of it. I just and I mean, this has been really recent that this has come up. It was August of 2023, so not even. I mean, it hasn't even been a year. So. See, and they, they, they'll tell it, they'll be like, all right, jurors, you can't take his other convictions in, into account. It's only on this one. <laughs> you bet your ass they're going to. They'll fry him. I hope to God they can tie it together because he will. He'll get the death penalty in a heartbeat. That would be the best thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. But SOB, SOB. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not saying like we need a, you don't need the 10 items or less aisle for the death penalty stuff, but there's certain cases I believe that there's definitely. This is one of them. Yeah. Of many. Yeah. This one, Bundy. Bundy got it. You know, it is, it's, it's a waste. Why, why even risk it? Why even let them, let them sit in there? Like why even, you know, feed, like I just, I, what he's done to so many families, I don't understand why we, 
I get like I get some, I get the argument. I'm going to play the political thing. I get the argument. I understand it. I don't really have a dog in the fight. I I've never had that sort of thing happen to me. And God says, you know, obviously you have to forgive. But I don't know if I could. I don't. I really truly don't. I mean, if you're if you're one of the members of the Otero family and you lost your mom, your dad, and your brother and your sister, like, what do you do? You can't. That's what the brother kind of talks about. He's like, you have to be able to just try to give him a voice. He's a Christian. Like, how is he supposed to forgive him? Yeah. You know. I don't think I could. I I, I really truly don't. No. Like, I hate him now. He never even like. He didn't just, do anything to me. Yeah, but, but. Uh, fuck that guy. <laughs> There's certain people that you just fuck those guys. So. Well, we're sorry for all the families and all the victims. And man, I hope she and I hope she brings this case to a close. I hope and she I hope does. She, Go I hope, girl. Yeah, and I hope she finds finds more. You know, to find figures out gives families. Yeah, gives fa- are, yeah able to give families closure that were involved. Yes. And we hope. Everything. Yeah. Okay. But so that is the new DCMB true crime podcast. Um, we'll work on it. It'll be good. Yeah. One um, at a time. Yes. If there's if if there's anything that we can obviously do better, if there's something we missed out on, if there's somebody you want us to talk about, please just leave it in the comments. We really tried to like keep it off of a script. Yeah. Just kind of more of our opinions and our our i don't want to give like obviously i don't want to give my big thing is i don't obviously we have to talk about the serial killer we have to talk about the person that committed the crimes but we i don't want that to i want to focus more on the families and give them just one last you know a voice to say hey you know like these horrible things have happened to you but you're not forgotten they're not the person that did this is not bigger than you guys it, they're not. They're not. They're nothing. The families that have gone through this, have lived through this, have survived this. You know, your surviving members. They're they're bigger than this, and BDK is nothing. He is nothing. So that's that's the big thing, and I think that's how we're gonna try to come at it um, when we do this. It's it's gonna be obviously we're gonna have to talk about like dates and stuff like that, but just know that this is where we're at. Is these guys are nothing. They're, they're really not. The families are what are the important things. You guys are the strong ones. You guys, the surviving members, are the strong ones. They had to live through this. They had to. They have had to do it. And your family is not forgotten, like, no matter what. So, but yeah, this has been the True Crime DCMB. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs>